Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. There's no sun up in the sky, stormy weather. Yeah. So, that was a faster bumper than I realized. So, Cheryl and I have a fondue pot. Actually, we, we had a fondue pot. This is not our fondue pot. We had one, but uh, recently we had like a small house fire. It's okay, everyone's fine. But what ended up happening was the insurance company, they swoop in with all of these people and they gather up all of your possessions. And so if you've never experienced it, it's really quite a fascinating thing to go through. And what they do is they ship it off somewhere and a group of unknown people go through all your stuff and they clean it all for you, and then they repack it, and they ship it back. And then, of course, it's your responsibility to kind of figure out what came back and what didn't. And the fondue pot, weirdly, didn't come back, uh, except for like a small piece of metal, which is really good, because otherwise I don't know that I would have remembered that we had a fondue pot. And, and you know, so like it had been a long time since I had seen it, and years since I had actually used it. But I got this little metal piece back, and I was thinking to myself, am I really going to claim a fondue pot on my insurance settlement? Like, like would we even repurchase the fondue pot? It had been so long since we had actually used it. And I looked it up, and, uh, and, it, and it actually wasn't cheap. Like, I found the one that we actually owned, uh, based on some pictures and things like that. And, and so we're, we're kind of, I'm like thinking about it, like am I really going to rebuy it? And what, like what was I thinking when I bought it? Because we hadn't used it. And of course I'm sure I bought it as a gift for Cheryl because I was like, oh, she's going to love fondue. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what was I actually sort of thinking? And I, I know what it was. You see, I love the idea of fondueing. That's what it is. I love the idea of it because, you know, so here you are, you know, you get this incredible tray of yummies, like you should always throw a Twinkie, you know, in there because, you know, why not? Because Twinkies and fondue, you know, you can do, you know, pound cake and fruit and strawberries, you know, which is fantastic. And then, and then what you do is you gather up like all of your friends and you, you sit around this like hot pot of, of cheese or even better chocolate which is here, and you take these, these delightful, yummy things, and you make them yummier together with chocolate. And, and then what you do 
is, is, of course, it's not simply about the, the chocolate, right? It's the, it's the time together. It's the sharing of life, and it's the catching up with the stories, and, you know, it's the just loving on each other. And so the idea of fondue is so fantastic. I just absolutely love it. I think we used it, like, maybe half a dozen times or something like that. <laughs> like, what is going on? Why? And so I'm... <laughs> I love the support. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm reading this week an article in the Atlantic magazine, and it's talking about our, the, the tyranny of modern life. And it links it to the work kind of situation that's going on. You know, we're connected 24-7 and, you know, texts and emails in the middle of the night now. And there's no disconnect. And, and we're so frantic. There's so many things we must do and we have to do and we feel like we have to do that we've actually... We've, we've squeezed out any time for fondue. We just don't do it anymore. In fact, think through your own social calendar. and Think about how much time you've really been able to invest in the people who are most important to you. Your family, your friends, the people that, that fill you up when you're together. And you'll realize we're doing it less and less and less. And all the researchers and statistics say it's true the tyranny of modern life. Now, you know by now in this series that God has designed us to be in family. And we need our family, and of course, they need us because we aren't designed to be alone. But when you get into the scriptures, God's definition of a family is much more expansive than what most of us talk about when we use the word family. Because, of course, most of us are talking about our blood relatives or maybe someone married in and that kind of a thing. But when you get to the scriptures, you find out that God is talking about the spiritual family more often and the importance of it. In fact, you'd find a theme on most every page, especially when you get into the New Testament. You start to hear about the Adelphoi, the brothers and the sisters. And it's one of the most hope-inspiring themes in all of the Bible. God's people as this great big spiritual family. There's a text. You'll remember when Jesus was teaching and he was with his followers, his mother and brothers, they came to see him, but they weren't able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told them, your mother and brothers are, out, are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, this is Jesus saying, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's his family. Those who hear God's word and practice it. And I love this idea that you can put into practice the principles of our spiritual family. You might think of it as practicing our spiritual family. And if you want to weather the storms of life, if you want to help others weather the storms of life, then we simply need to practice being a spiritual family. And this is a key idea for us. So let's open up in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and learn some of the practices so that we can be part of this unusual 
and sometimes maddening and altogether beautiful family that he calls the church. little background to this text before we jump into it. This happens before Jesus ascends to heaven. He is talking to his disciples and he gives the church the biggest, gnarliest mission that they could have imagined. Jesus tells them that this little group of followers is going to go into the whole of the world on God's mission. That they're going to fulfill the original mission, which, which was to fill the whole of the planet with the image of God by bringing more and more people into his family, by, by reproducing ourselves so that the whole of the planet is filled with the image of God. And that's actually where our text picks up. Jesus has given the early church this command to do this, fulfill this incredible mission. The early church began to do that exact thing. And we end up getting a little snapshot here in these few verses as to what this new spiritual family looked like. So I'd like you to read this. I'm reading from the New International Version. Let's read this out loud together, starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Ready? Go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together and fondued uh, no, with they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved the early christian family was able to weather every single storm because they were devoted to a few simple practices and that's kind of a key idea here for us, that they were devoted. Acts chapter 2, 42 says they devoted themselves. That means they have a commitment to each other and to the community of faith. And I, this is important because, you know, you got to kind of hear this because following Jesus, believing in Jesus, having the right theology, not enough. It's not enough. God's plan was for every person who followed Jesus to be integrated into a spiritual family. That's how he designed it. And you don't get to decide whether you want to be a part of that family. You don't. The reality is if you want God as father, then we are your brothers and sisters. You want God as father, I'm your brother. That's it. Even if you don't want it. This is the way it has to be. It's how God designed it. If you want into the family, then you're in the family. And that's key. Because with that come all of the rights and responsibilities of being in that family. You want the father, you get the family. And be devoted to them. The story of a wealthy CEO, he was um, you know, well known in the neighborhood for, in his community for not actually using any of his wealth to help with the local charities. And so one particular charity, a new fundraiser came in 
And uh, they said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this guy up and see if we can get him to do, you know, give some money to, you know, to our, to our, here, our mission here, you know, our, what we're doing, our, our event, our, our charity. This is great. We're going to do it. I don't know why everybody's so intimidated. And so uh, the fundraiser goes and he meets with them and he says, hey, listen, you know, we notice you're really well off. It's obvious. And um, we also notice that you don't give any money to our charity. And we really like you to, to start, consider it. And the guy, the, the CEO, interrupts him very rudely, actually. He's like, hey, wait a second. How dare you? He says, you know, do you know that my father is in a subpar nursing home because of a lack of financial resources? And, and he was, the, the fundraiser was stunned. And he was like, I, no, I didn't. I'm really sorry. He's like, and, you know, did you know my brother, who's, in, who's an amputee from war, he has subpar health care right now. He's not getting great care. But... Like, he's struggling because he doesn't have the, the best insurance policies. They're like, I can't believe it. Hold on, you know, my kids are struggling under the weight of debt from their schooling. They don't even know how they're going to get out. And, they, and, and so now the fundraiser's like, I am so sorry. I didn't understand. I really apologize. And right there, the CEO interrupts him and says, if I don't give money to any of them, why am I going to give it to you? <laughs> you know, that's a true story. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It actually probably is a true story. Um, but, uh, but, but the point here is, of course, not devoted to family. See, when you're devoted, it means it costs us time, talent, treasure. That's devoted. That's how you can measure whether or not you're devoted. Because it will matter. So what are these practices that we can glean from the text. Verse 42 continues. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so they are learning and living. Learning and living. Christian relationships aren't a free-for-all. It's just not how they operate. The spiritual family that we call the church is absolutely all too broken, but we are continually striving to take our community and our mission to a whole new level. And we do that by learning and by living the truth of the scriptures. And we follow those principles, principles like redemption and forgiveness and holiness and integrity, self-sacrifice, to, to name just a few. You know, I just want to give a shout out because we've got uh, some great ministry teams here at the church. You've got Kids Quest, who's helping our kids to learn and live the principles of Christian community. You've got Ignite that's doing it for older kids. You've got Fusion that's working with junior and senior hires. You've got our small group ministries, Alpha classes. You've got our whole discipleship network. Our, those are our D groups and our D classes. Can we just hear it for all of the folks who are continually working hard to make sure that we are learning and living? I got a whole lot of shout outs because I've been so excited about what God has been doing in our midst. But the practice number two that's important for us to note, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship. Now fellowship starts with simple hospitality. That's all. It starts right there, and that's so important. Ever since the very beginning of Beacon, we have been focused on hospitality, on how do we build an environment, create an environment where people will feel able to connect and relate 
to get past the surface conversations. Yeah, it starts with the weather and how you doing and that kind of thing, but we're trying to create an environment where it can, we can press deeper into these relationships. And the CAFE crew is largely responsible for making that happen. So I want to just a shout out for the CAFE crew. You guys have been doing this, setting up, breaking down, making everything look great for us, and I just really appreciate it because what you're doing is you're creating an environment that allows us to go deeper into fellowship. Now what's neat is fellowship is way more than that. The word that is used here is koinonia. Let's say that together. Ready? Koinonia. It's a great, rich, theological word. One of the, one of the best definitions I've heard that came from this word was harmony created by shared purpose. I love that picture of koinonia. Harmony created by shared purpose, which of course means that when you are doing something together, there is harmony in your midst because you realize what you're doing transcends all of the other stuff that could disrupt harmony. So you maintain harmony. Sometimes people will ask us kind of about our leadership culture and our environment here at the church. And they'll say, you know, you've accomplished so little, I mean, so much in a church in so little time. And like this is, they're very impressed by it. They love this. And, and we talk to some colleagues and other people. They come and they marvel in particular at the, at the little piece that, that is that we have so little conflict, so little conflict in our leadership and in our politics of church life and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it, we get to stay focused on our mission, and we have for all of these years now, and it's so exciting. And, and of course, I'm thinking about it, and I go, why is it that, that we have been spared so much of this? And I think it's koinonia. I think it's this idea of harmony created by shared purpose. The Holy Spirit pours out this koinonia upon us, and it is a gift. It also carries this idea of partnership that we're actually doing this work together for a common goal. And of course, that common goal is the original mission that he gave to his followers, which is to take the message of Christ to every man, woman, and child and give them repeated opportunities to respond to the love of Christ. So we work together for a common good. That's all part of koinonia. And, you know, we have two teams in particular. Our compassion team helps us care for people in practical ways outside of our walls, and our outreach team continues to raise awareness in the community that there's actually a spiritual family here in their midst. So I just want to do a shout out for our compassion team and our outreach team because you guys have been making this happen for us for many, many, many years. Third practice is prayer and worship. And of course, this is our praise. It's in verse 42, 43, 46. And all I want to say about prayer here this morning, it's a whole other message for us another day, but is that prayer sort of, in this sort of mystical way, it knits us together in these spiritual relationships that can transcend the blood bonds that we have with our family. And many of you have experienced it. Cheryl and I certainly have experienced it. And somehow we're just knit together. And it's such a beautiful thing. And we every week have an opportunity to come together for worship and for prayer because a whole lot of people make it a reality. It's the roadies and it's the worship team and it's the communion team who set up and clean up for us every week. It's the media and the tech teams. It's the prayer team all committing themselves so that we can. We just give them a round of applause and say thank you guys because you have allowed us, you've given us 
an environment that we get to worship together and we get to pray together and we get to experience the spiritual dimensions of our connections. The fourth practice that we see in the text is sacrificial care. In verse 45, you can read it there, it says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, in Greco-Roman culture of the day, it was a simple process of reciprocity. You give in order to get stuff back. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, give without expecting anything in return. Not only that, don't even want anything in return because if you get nothing in return, your heavenly father will see that and will reward you himself. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of what it means to genuinely and truly care sacrificially. Of course, we have this great care ministry at the church. They provide meals for people in need. They do hospital visits and communion to shut-ins, people that can't get out to church. They bring communion to them. They offer financial assistance and even financial counseling to people and families who are struggling. They do continual prayer support and provide counseling for all sorts of areas of life. They do notes of encouragement and, and on and on and visits and all this kind of stuff. I, the list goes on and on as to how many ways that our care ministry has provided for many years here an incredible resource to just support and encourage us. So I just want to thank the care team as well for um, some really amazing years of service. And, you know, they help countless people. There is a lot more to be done, and I'll give you something about that uh, in just a little bit, about what more we're hoping to do. See, devotion to these practices has allowed the Christian family to fulfill the mission that God gave us which, of course, is to produce. We're trying to reproduce ourselves so that we could fill the whole of the earth with the image of God as it manifests itself in brothers and sisters, in this new spiritual family. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're praying for. And Adam and Eve, they were told in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, and that's exactly what the church is trying to do to adopt more and more people into the family of God. It's such a powerful picture. Look at verse 47. He says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Enjoying the favor. What would it be like if the church today could enjoy the favor of all the people? And how would we even get to that place? Well, they talked about it. They told people about what they believed. And they lived what they believed. Through sacrificial lives. A sociologist, Rodney Starr, he, he uh, talks about this. He says that if you were to take the... The, the whole of the rise of Christianity and figure out how is it that Christianity was able to go from this tiny little group of, of Christ followers to the most significant and powerful social and theological religious movement the world has ever known. How was it able to do that in such a short period of time? He says, well, it really comes down to a couple things. It comes down to their unbelievably uh, pure teaching. That, the, that it just, people are attracted to the teaching of the scriptures. And the second thing is that the Christians really lived it. 
That's what he says. As a modern sociologist who is not a Christian, he goes, that's how the early church grew. And it's how the church will complete our mission today. We will proclaim it every opportunity and we will live it at every opportunity. And sometimes I wonder, like, how many people can a church reach? Like, how many people can Beacon as a community, as a spiritual family reach? And how quickly can we reach them? And how can we integrate them? And can you just imagine the day when, when we are standing there and we are together in an annual meeting, we're kind of giving updates of what's happened over the course of the year, and we're like, hey, by the way, this year we were able to reach 365 people for the kingdom. And of course, that's not a random number. That would be reaching someone every day. That's what the early church, the Lord added to their number every day. What an incredible future this would be. Now, some of you haven't yet devoted yourselves to your spiritual family, and I want to encourage you to consider it. Maybe you already like Beacon. Maybe you attend. Maybe you even attend regularly. But you sort of have one foot in, and you sort of have one foot out. You've never really fully committed yourself to this or perhaps to any spiritual family. I want you to reconsider that place. You know, maybe you're saying, actually, no, I did already commit myself to a spiritual family and I was burned. A lot of folks have had a bad experience. I totally get it. It's family. It's messy. We're a whole group of sinners trying to figure this whole thing out together. So yeah, that does happen. I understand it. But I want to I encourage you to reconsider. Don't pull yourself away because you need your family. Your family needs you. So why not come on in, you know, share some fondue with us, you know, enjoy the family that God has called you to be a part of. Now, others of you, you've already made a commitment to be part of the broader family, but you haven't yet taken the plunge into a small group. We have hundreds of people in small groups already, but there are still a whole lot of you who haven't yet made that step. And I want to encourage you to do it because so many of the best stories of encouragement and shared life happen in the small group environment. I mean, the stories we hear are absolutely fantastic and I want you to be a part of those stories as well. You know, we have, we have a group that has been meeting a long, long time. It's the Tuesday night floral park Group. Do we have any people here from the Tuesday night floral park group? Are you here? Oh, yeah, there we go. Man, of course. Yes, you count too. Wait, do you go to the group? No, actually, you go to your own group. But, but uh, the Tuesday night group, they have, for years, they have invested in each other. They have, when, when, when a fam family member experiences a great loss... They rally around. There's endless hospital visits. I mean, you guys have modeled this for years. And then the, I just wanted to I want to give you a fondue pot is what I want to do. Because I want you guys to actually use your fondue pot at your Tuesday night, at your Tuesday night group. Because you guys have really been an inspiration to us for a long time. There are lots of great stories. Listen, if you're a small group leader, or if you are a participant in a small group, your group is, is, is on a journey as well. Make it an Acts chapter 2 group. Live these principles. Live them sacrificially. 
Don't hold back, but throw yourselves in. Work these principles, these practices, and become an Acts 2 kind of church. And do it in the midst of your small group and open it up and invite others in and bring them into the experience of family. We also, of course, one of the next steps some of you can take is to serve your spiritual family. Again, we have hundreds of people already serving, but today is the Ministry Expo, and we have dozens and dozens of open ministry opportunities. You already heard from Joseph. Maria is over there in the back. They're going to be out there uh, at all of the tables. Our ministry partners will be there as well. And if you are not yet connected, then this is a simple, easy way to take one step forward in your ability to serve, love, and connect with your spiritual family. And so we would love for you to consider doing it. By the way, they've been rebranded. They're now the crew, all of you who are participating, and you got a cool new T-shirt, and I'm already seeing them floating around. So uh, a big uh, thank you to all of you guys who have been uh, serving and will be serving. On the, uh, the T-shirt's reason enough to sign up, but there's all sorts of other great reasons as well. And then... The, an important step that I want to highlight for you here is there is a need in every community of faith for people who will commit themselves to the care and the leadership of their spiritual family. And we have kind of a, uh, a big announcement that we wanted to uh, kind of end here with for you. And I want to give it a little bit of context before, uh, before I announce it. See, the reality is that lost people matter to God. He adores them, and they ought to matter to us. And when you look out over our county and over Suffolk, Long Island has some of the lowest percentages of sold-out Christ followers anywhere in the whole country. We are far behind many places throughout our nation. And I have no doubt that this breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father who desires all people to come to a saving knowledge of his son and to be incorporated and folded into the family. Now, every single Christ follower has the responsibility to live as a missional disciple maker. Every single one of us is to share our faith with as many people as possible. And God has called each and every one of us into this magnificent mission. We all share it. It is our common mission. We, the church, exist for the good of the world. That's key for us to remember. And in God's great wisdom, he has gifted some people in the church to be leaders, to be under shepherds, you might say, of the flock. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we re all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If Beacon is going to reach her full redemptive potential, then we are going to need to equip and release as many of these gifted leaders as is possible. And that's where the leadership incubator comes in. The pastoral leadership incubator has been under construction for some time. It is one of the things I have been most excited about over the last six or more months. And it is one of the things that I feel 
to be the future of where we are heading as a church. It's going to be one of the key initiatives that is going to enable us as a congregation to become the church that God is calling us to be. Because our desire is to launch and release a trained group of high-capacity volunteer pastoral leaders into the ministries throughout Long Island. And it is finally getting underway. Year one of the incubator is, the whole incubator is broken down into three years. And the first year focuses on deepening your shepherd's heart and your skills so that you can provide pastoral care to other Christians. Now, if that's your desire and it matches your gifting, and this is, a, this is an important part of the incubator, then you will be commissioned as an associate pastor of care at Beacon. And you will be given a geographic parish, so to speak, that you will be responsible to look after. And it will, per, it will mean that you'll be coordinating all of the elements of pastoral care within that particular region hospital visits, communion for shut-ins, offering prayer support, and, and organizing meals, and just among other responsibilities. The care pastors will be trained, they'll be licensed, they'll be performing weddings, funerals, and they'll be working as the front line of pastoral care for the foreseeable future here at Beacon. Year two, ministry leadership. Maybe you see yourself in more of a ministry leadership role and not primarily as a care pastor, then you would continue into the incubator and complete the second year. The primary focus is going to be on sharpening our ministry management skills. Now, all leadership positions require pastoral care, and so year one is a prerequisite for those who are aspiring to ministry leadership. When we're, what do we mean when we say this? Well, we're talking about Pastoral positions such as small groups pastor or family pastors, kids ministries, discipleship pastors or facilities or executive pastors, any host of current and future pastoral roles we will be training through the incubator. And these volunteer leaders, they currently form and they will increasingly form the backbone of Beacon's growth trajectory and all of our future expansion plans. The incubator has a year three, and year three is for those who feel called to be more strategic and have a higher level of responsibilities, and this could be campus pastors or church planters. Uh, they might be people involved in some of our future missional communities or missional experiments even. Year one and two are, of course, prerequisite, so you'll already have a strong grasp on pastoral care as well as you will have, have really sharpened your management skills that are necessary to lead others in ministry. The third year is going to focus, though, on more strategic leadership and team development. And for some, it might even include some coaching on the craft of teaching and, and preaching. Now, that track is going to be reserved for those who are interested in exploring a future at a very high level of pastoral leadership. And the application for the incubator goes live today. It is an application-only uh, training, and we would encourage so, as many of you as feel a prompting to consider it. And this is really important as I wrap things up here. 
If you want to text incubator, you want to go to the website and check out the application, I want you to consider doing it. But here's the thing. And I want those of you who are feeling something going on now to consider asking more questions or applying. Listen, it's not going to be for everyone. I absolutely know that. God gave some to be in these roles. But if that is you, and if, in, and if while I've been describing any of this, you've had this little bit of an inkling, you've had just a little bit of a sense that says, I wonder if this is supposed to be for me. That might very well be the Spirit of God starting to do a work in your heart. This might even be the very first time you've experienced that, that little bit of thing going on in your soul. And if that is you, then we want you to seriously consider talking to us about what is going on in your heart and in the future here at Beacon. Because as we look to the future of Beacon Church, we want to maximize and expand our impact throughout Long Island. We want to take the gifts that God has given to us and we want to leverage them for the good of our island. Because not only do we want to help Christians become missional disciple, maker, disciple makers here and elsewhere, but we desire to release this army of trained leaders into the harvest. And if any of this resonates with your heart, then we want you to reach out because we would love and be honored to have you as a part of the team. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us as we go to the Lord's table. And as they do that, I just want to say a word of prayer here and solidify the work that God is doing in some of your hearts. So let's, let's pray. Father, what you are doing here in our midst has been an incredible gift to us. You have allowed us to experience a spiritual family. You've allowed us, Lord, to continue to grow in the faith. You've trained us up in so many ways. You've given us each other as brothers and sisters. And yet, Lord, your desire for your early church and for us is that we would not keep these gifts to ourselves. We would practice being a spiritual family, but, Lord, that we would extend your glory, that we would let others know every man, woman, child needs repeated opportunities to respond to the love of Christ. Lord, we will do that as each person does their part. And for some, Lord, that's going to be a special call here today. Those who have felt the call of leadership in the Christian community, Lord, they're, you're speaking to them even now. I pray that you'd stir up their hearts, lead and guide and direct us, Lord we launch into this exciting new phase in the life of Beacon. We pray it all in Christ's name.